You may be seated. What a great day of worship. I'm so thankful that you joined us today, and I'm excited. We are uh, kicking off a new study today, a new series called Essentially This. And the impetus for this series is to equip each one of us to be able to answer this critical question. What must I believe to be a Christian? What must others believe to be a Christian? What must we believe to live like Christians? Now, this is an important but honestly neglected question. Because in today's Western Christianity, the emphasis has largely been on the moment of conversion. So we hear this question, when were you saved? When did you place your faith in Jesus Christ? So that's a moment of conversion question. And it neglects the truth that converts and transforms. It's an important question, but we should not neglect the truth that converts us and transforms us. We, we know that conversion, according to Scripture, is to make all things new. Old things are gone, new things have come. But listen, not all things are made new instantaneously. Right? We, we are in process of becoming like Christ. In his letter to the Romans, Paul pointed out that we are transformed by the renewing of our what? Minds. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. That is, we must have a changed mind if we are going to have a changed life. And I don't know if you've tried to change the mind of those around you. Maybe the people you live with, maybe the people you work with, but minds change slowly. Changing a mind typically takes time. Now, believing in Jesus or, or being converted does not renew our minds. Okay? I'm going to say that again. Believing in Jesus, being converted, doesn't renew our minds the way Paul is talking about it. It resets our minds. It's like restarting your phone. You just start over. But the renewing of the mind, what literally leads to transformation, is only possible when we decide that we are not going to settle for just being a believer in Jesus. We are going to pursue becoming a disciple of Jesus. We're not going to settle just for being a believer. You a believer? Yeah, I'm a believer. But what difference does it make? Not much if you have failed to pursue a relationship with Christ as a disciple. You know what a disciple is by definition? It is a learner. A disciple follows Christ and learns from Him. Someone who enrolls in the school of Christ and is disciplined in the study of the things of God. Now, let me ask you a question. By that definition, are you a disciple? Are you disciplined in the study of the things of God? See, here, here's why we have to wrestle with that. Because if we're going to have transformed minds, we've got to study. 
If, if For our minds to be renewed so that we think of God the way He intends us to think of Him, we need to be engaged in the lifelong marathon pursuit of understanding the truth of God as it is revealed in Scripture. Listen, transformation will take place by no other means... It comes through the study of God's Word. And listen, only when our minds are changed are we going to be able to answer the question, what must I believe to be a Christian? Or to put it the other way, what must I believe to live like a Christian? Every disciple of Jesus Christ needs to be able to answer that question. We need to know what we believe. Because in answering it, in pursuing the answers, our minds are renewed and our lives are transformed. If we don't pursue those answers, then we will fall short of transformation. We will live unproductive, unfruitful lives for the cause of Christ. And I don't think anyone in this room wants to settle for the mediocrity of unfruitfulness. There's too much at stake. And when we study the Scripture, we find out that there are some unifying essentials that every disciple, every serious-minded Christian must believe. There are some ones that we unite around. There are some truths that we must believe to live as Christ called us to live. And so the purpose of this study is both to inspire us and to equip us To know those essentials. So when the question is is asked, what must I believe? You can respond, well, essentially this. And provide the answers that can lead to hope. That can lead to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Peter, in his first letter, and I want you to turn your Bibles there to 1 Peter chapter 3. And if you're new to finding books in the Bible, 1 Peter is all the way in the back. You go to the book of Revelation and then turn like four forward. 1 Peter chapter 3, he gives us why every follower of Jesus must be able to answer the question, what must I believe to be a Christian? 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, and always, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Don't be rude about it. Act like Jesus. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now listen, there are two things that Peter says we must do to fulfill the responsibilities, our responsibilities as followers of Jesus. Both, both of them require complete understanding of what we must believe. What are the two things he calls us to? In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. 
in your hearts. Revere Christ as Lord. And second, always be prepared to give the reason for the hope you have in Jesus. Always be prepared. Now, both of those crucial actions, which represent our responsibility as fully devoted followers of Christ, both of those crucial actions are dependent upon orthodox belief. Embracing these things that we must be, these truths that we must be united around. Now, if we don't believe the right things about Jesus, we won't revere him as Lord. We can't set him apart in our hearts and revere him as Lord if we don't understand him. Our minds must be settled on who he is and what he wants. If we fail to settle our minds, we will never fully submit our hearts. Philosopher and theologian R.C. Sproul wrote these words. Nothing can be in my heart that is not first in my head. Nothing can be in my heart that is not first in my head. How can I love a God or a Jesus about whom I understand nothing? Indeed, the more I come to understand the character of God, the greater my capacity to love him. That's true of anybody. It is especially true of God. If we want to love him and be devoted to his cause and his calling, we must understand him. And how does God reveal himself? Through the scripture. The Bible is the revelation of God. This book is written for us to understand. And it is written in words that communicate concepts that must be understood by the mind. Now certainly mysteries remain. There are some things we won't understand. That's why people say all the time, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask. Faith is required, but... What we can understand, we must understand. And the purpose of his revelation is that we understand it with our minds so it can penetrate our hearts. Because it can't get to our hearts if it doesn't go through our minds. Now listen, you may object by saying, well, you know, people, they, they come to Jesus every day and, and they're not studying the great truths of Scripture. You're, you're right. Some people come to Christ and they've never read the Scripture. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So it comes when it is spoken to them and sometimes when it is read by them, the Holy Spirit guides them to saving faith. That's the basic intent of Scripture, to guide us to saving faith. But listen closely, that is not what Peter is talking about. He is not talking about saving faith here. He's talking about trusting Christ as Savior. He's talking about revering Christ as Lord. And that requires a commitment to studying the orthodox truths of the Christian faith. It is arranging our lives in such a way that we are completely committed to doing things the way our Savior wants them to do. If you are not committed to that, then you are not revering Christ as Lord in your heart. And there is no question, no question, 
that following Christ as Lord demands right belief. We have to know. We have to understand the great truths of our faith that are revealed in Scripture. Now, the second command that Peter gives in in this passage is that we must always be prepared to answer people who ask us for the reason for our hope. We need to be prepared to answer people who ask us for the reason for our hope. Now, when people ask us to provide a reason, they are expecting it to be reasonable. They are expecting us to use reason. Now listen to the way the New American Standard translates this verse. Always be ready to make a defense. Now this is just elevating our responsibility. To make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. That is a more literal translation of the original Greek text. And it certainly raises the stakes for our answers. It's not just... Any old reason will do. It's not that, hey, tell me about your relationship with Christ. Well, it it felt right. You know, I was just in church and I had some kind of emotional response. There was some conviction and I, 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 I just went with it. That's not going to lead anybody to faith in Christ. They'll either admire you or think you're crazy or shallow. We, we have to be prepared to give a reason, a reasoned defense of what we believe so we can make a logical accounting of the hope we live by. And in doing so, we will equip them in their minds to surrender their hearts to Jesus. But if it's illogical or unreasonable, then they're not going to be drawn into the truth as it is revealed in Scripture. Now, it is absolutely impossible for us to give a reasoned defense if we do not have a handle on the essentials of our faith. It's impossible. We have to know what we believe. What Peter is saying is we must be ready to answer the question we began with. What must I believe to be a Christian? What must I believe to live like a Christian? Now, as I've thought about the essentials, and we're going to work through them, we're going to talk about what we believe about God and Christ and the Holy Spirit and salvation and sin and eternity. We're going to go through all of that. But as I've thought about what's the issue that prevents us from seizing the opportunity to learn these great truths... I've settled on the fact that there is a misconception that we must address. We absolutely have to deal with this. It's a misconception that needs to be cleared up because if we live under this misconception, we will not be disciplined in our pursuit of transformation. 
It's an error that's actually anchored in something Jesus said. And by the way, that's the way the enemy works. He takes something beautiful and true and transforming that Christ said, and he twists it so we misunderstand it, misapply it just a little bit, and then we miss what God had for us through that teaching. So this is an error that is anchored in something Jesus said to his disciples. And if we don't get this right, we will lack the intrinsic motivation required to sustain our study and our pursuit of doctrinal orthodoxy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now the error comes from what we call childlike faith. Okay, what, what we understand Christ called us to and instructed the disciples to facilitate childlike faith. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. The story, actually the context is set within the story. We're going to begin reading in Mark chapter 10, verse 13. This is a story that I imagine you're familiar with. Mark ten thirteen. People, they were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, Hey, guys, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, truly. In other words, hey, guys, write this down. Mark it down. This is absolute truth. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Really? Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now, what was going on here? Jesus, a few times in Scripture, he becomes irate. Okay, he is indignant. He is operating with strong indignation here. On one occasion, he went into the temple and found out they had turned it into a flea market. And he was indignant about that, flipping over tables, wrecking the place. On another occasion, the scripture says that he went to Lazarus after he passed away. And Jesus, we know he wept. His heart was broken. But I think what's clear in that scripture is that he was also indignant about the devastation that sin causes. That the wages of sin are death. And, and this is not the way God designed the world to work. He was indignant about death. And in this case... He was angry at his disciples for scolding people for bringing children to him. What was their issue? They, they thought it was a waste of time. And so in his rebuke, Jesus makes a very important point. And I hope you all picked up on this. Jesus makes a very important point about the kind of faith that is required to enter and thrive in the kingdom of God. Look back at verse 15. Truly, 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 I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. I thought we weren't supposed to say never. 
Jesus gets to. And what he said is, if we don't receive the kingdom like a little child, we will never enter it. What Jesus is saying is that kingdom life is fundamentally built on childlike faith. Now, unfortunately, what has happened to this concept is that in some Christian circles, the biblical call for childlike faith has been elevated to a spiritual ideal that distorts the meaning of faith. Let, Let me explain. Childlike faith is a virtue for the kingdom of God. There's no question about it. But we must think critically about what Jesus was saying so that we don't get stuck acting like children. Okay? We don't want to get stuck acting like children. So what is Jesus saying about childlike faith? It's important to note that he says we should receive the kingdom of God like a little child. A little child. That means... He was using an analogy, and when we think critically about the faith of a little child, the meaning becomes obvious to us. Just as little children trust their parents implicitly, taking them at their word, so we too, in a similar fashion, must trust our Heavenly Father implicitly, taking Him at His word. Little children trust their parents, right? When a little child approaches an ironing board with a hot iron on it they can't see, and the parent says, no, stop. The child trusts the command and backs away from the iron, even though they don't have a full understanding of the danger, but they can hear it in the parent's voice, and they trust the voice of the parent. They recognize when the parent speaks, they must change course, ideally. Now, of course, as children grow, they inevitably start asking some different questions. Why, 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 why? One million whys in one season of life. And then the next season comes with a measure of defiance. They begin to defy and they define lines by stepping over them. But what Jesus is saying when he calls us to be like little children is there's no place for defiance in the kingdom of God. God's children must remain forever in the state of childlike trust and awe of their heavenly Father. The M.O., of sons and daughters of God is to operate with childlike faith even as we grow. See, we we have to trust God implicitly. We have to take Him at His word. He is trustworthy. And a mature Christian never grows out of childlike faith. As a matter of fact, we grow into it. 
Because that's the kind of faith that lives in and thrives in the kingdom of God. Now, here's where the problem arises. The problem arises when we confuse childlike faith with childish faith. And the two are very different. Childish faith balks at learning the great essential truths, the, the true doctrines of our faith, Because childishness rejects the disciplines of discipleship. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Childish faith will never grow in the truth because childishness rejects the disciplines of discipleship. Childishness plays, it does not pray. Childishness sips on the milk of the faith rather than consuming the meat of the faith. Childishness grows or survives on quotes. They survive on what other people give them. But those who will grow in their childlike faith to maturity, pursue it. We're disciplined in the study of God's Word. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. We'll have it on the screen here for you. It says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers. In other words, listen, he's talking to believers that have been hanging around the church. They've been following Jesus. And he says, you you guys need to get with the program. By this time you ought to be teachers. But you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You you know what you need is milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who, by constant use, who by constantly eating solid adult food, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now, what is the writer doing? He's writing to goad them towards spiritual maturity. He is prodding them to pursue transformation in Christ's likeness. They've been walking with God. They've been following Christ long enough that now they should be able to give a reasoned defense of the hope that they have in Christ. As a matter of fact, they should have been able to teach the great truths of the faith to those who were new in the faith. They should be feeding the little children. But instead, because of their childishness, because of their unwillingness to pursue the truth of God's great book, His Word, they're still acting like babies. They're still eating like little children. They hadn't grown past the elementary teachings of the faith simply because they hadn't disciplined themselves to be students of God's truth. They weren't devoted. Now, let me me just ask you, 
to play the tape on the week that's gone by. How much devotion materialized in your life as you sat down to read God's word? How much time did you prepare to revere Christ as Lord in your heart? How prepared are you to answer the question, to give a reasonable defense for the hope that you have in Christ? To, to the writer of Hebrews' point, he says if, if you're still living on milk, you're still an infant. You, you, you don't know we don't know, we don't understand the truths that lead to righteousness. In, in Peter's words, we, we don't know the truths that enable us to reveal Christ as Lord in our hearts. And if we don't know those truths... We're not going to be productive or fruitful for the cause of Christ. There are some things we just have to know about and understand. Because it renews the mind and transforms our life. So the question is, how do we get there? How, how do we grow up in respect to our salvation? How, how do we turn the moment in, of conversion into a life that is converted? We only grow by eating grown-up food. We only grow by eating grown-up food. At some point, we have to get off of the milk and get to solid food. Now, one point that we need to recognize here is that solid food, what did I say? Solid food comes with responsibility. Right? You have to get it. Solid food doesn't come out of a bottle that someone gives you. Solid food isn't spoon-fed to you by someone else. You have to cut it up. You have to put it on your plate, cut it up, get it on the fork, and feed yourself. That's what adults do. I hope that's how it works for you. That's what adults do. Every serious disciple of Jesus Christ has to embrace the discipline of feeding themselves. Now, obviously you're not alone in the process. Okay? You can 
listen to sermons preached by someone else. You can read books written by someone else. But at some point, you have to dig in for yourself. I've said it before, and I'll say it over and over again. If I'm all you ever get, you're going to starve to death. Okay, if, if your devotional life can be summed up by searching for clever memes on social media that you can post onto your page, you are starving yourself. That doesn't renew the mind or transform the soul because it doesn't help us understand the, the great doctrines of the faith that can help us revere Christ as Lord and then lead us to fruitful witness. So, listen, as an adult, you might not do all the cooking, all right? It, it's good to get some help. No man or woman is an island, but to move beyond childishness You can't be spoon-fed every morsel. You got to dig in. Growing up in the faith, maturing to become a man or woman of God, the man or woman that God has called you to do, to be, to do the good works that he prepared in advance for you to do, as Paul writes. That means that you and I have to be fully engaged in the process of consuming adult food. We have to understand the essentials of our faith. Listen to what Paul said in the first letter to the Corinthians. He wrote, Hey guys, when I was a child, you know what I did? I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. I imagine he ate like a child. But when I became a man, I put childhood behind me. When I wanted to mature, I moved beyond childishness and got serious about growing up. Now, when we combine Hebrews 5 with this text, I think it's safe to conclude that if you eat like a child, you can expect to talk like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. And when we do that, guess what's going to happen? We're going to act like children. going to be stuck in childishness. And at some point with Paul, we have to decide in dependence upon the Holy Spirit to guide us through the process, we have to decide that we're going to put childish things behind us and pursue maturity. In other words, we have to come to the decision where we say, this is the book that I'm going to live by. This book is going to attract my devotion. 
not just because it's a great book, but because it's God's book whereby he reveals truth about himself and truth about us and the pathway to transformation. But if this book is just something that stays on your bedside table closed, if the only thing you get out of this book comes from someone else's mouth, then you are going to be stuck in childishness. With childlike faith, we must trust the gospel message and receive the kingdom of God And we must trust the Word of God as the revelation of the path to abundant and eternal life. When we receive salvation, by God's grace through our faith. Like children, we take God at His word and we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When we receive salvation, then with manic determination, we must fight for maturity. Only if we want our minds to be renewed and our lives to matter. That's all. That, that, that's what's at stake. Like I don't like doctrine or study. It seems there's only one way to grow up. solid food and so the question is are you going to put childish things behind and with childlike faith pursue Christ pursue the truth as revealed in God's word I can't do it for you measure of responsibility. It's on you. We begin through childlike faith by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Where we trust what the scripture revealed that Jesus stepped out of eternity and into time, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, took our place, was our substitute. He died on the cross so we could be forgiven of sins. And then God raised him from the dead so we could have life abundant and life eternal. That's the beginning. That's the gospel message. That's what you have to receive like a child. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a believer, if you haven't come to that moment of conversion that we talked about, It happens when the Holy Spirit compels you to trust that story. That story. 
And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus or if you're with us online and you're not following Jesus and you feel God drawing you to that truth, then trust Him. Like a little child, trust the truth of the story. It'll change your life. It'll change your eternal destiny. You will receive the kingdom of God. And then... I think there are probably far more of us in this room who have come to the moment of conversion. But after that, what is happening to you? Are you pursuing maturity by putting childish things behind, studying God's Word? Father, we are so thankful for Jesus who came to make a way for us to enter your kingdom. Father, I pray if if there's anyone within the sound of my voice today or who will be listening that needs to place their faith in Jesus, that by your spirit you would give them the courage and the childlike faith to believe. Thank you, Lord, that upon belief, old things are made new. Lord, I I pray for those of us, Father, who are already in the kingdom, but have been stunted in growth and maturity and transformation because of an unwillingness to pursue the great truths of our faith. I pray, Lord, today that by your Spirit, you would unlock our desire. Help us to understand that what we really desire is you and your truth. And Lord, lead us to be people committed to your word. And Lord, as the next few weeks unfold and we talk about these great truths that can help us Revere Christ as Lord in our hearts. I pray that you would elevate our commitment to being here and, most importantly, our commitment to studying your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the revelation of truth found in Scripture. And thank you for the possibilities of transformation fruit and meaningful service in your kingdom. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Will you stand with us?